Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes of your time. If you'll give us that, I'll give you the world and all the current events that are unfolding here with our broadcast partners giving us the details behind all of the headlines. In a moment, we'll go to Ken Timmerman. He's located in southern France, and he'll have a vantage point that can help us understand geopolitical activities around the world. I want to tell you I'm here in temporary studios in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I'm a block away from the Green Bay Packers Stadium. Judy and I went over for just a little bit. We have a son-in-law and a couple of grandsons who love the Green Bay Packers, so we enjoyed that little tour over there. I'm uh, trying to decide whether it's Miami Dolphins, that's where I'm from, or the Green Bay Packers now. I really enjoyed seeing the facility. Well, we're here, and we're going to go up to Crystal Falls, Michigan, to the Lakeview Bible Church. We'll be there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Pastor Roger Jaworski is going to be the one who invites all of you in that listening area to come study Bible prophecy all day on Sunday, starting at 9.30 and then at 10.30. In the evening at uh, 5 o'clock, we're going to have a prophecy Q&A, 6 o'clock the evening service, then on Monday and Tuesday, 6 p.m. for the Q&A, 7 o'clock for my teaching on Bible prophecy. Come join us at the Lakeview Bible Church in Crystal Falls, Michigan. Well, we're going to Ken Timmerman, and before we went on the air, he was telling me some of his experiences today. He has a little piece of property there in southern France. He's got an olive orchard on his property, and he has an electric fence. Earlier today, he was out. He slipped and fell against the electric fence, burned himself, had to have some stitches in the arm. Are you doing okay, Ken? Yeah, I'm doing fine, Jimmy, but, you know, those guardian angels that I've got, and, and I, I'm convinced by now I, I, I need a pair of them to take care <laughs> of me. They're watching over me the whole time. If I'd fallen just a half an inch uh, away, it would have uh, severed my uh, main artery in my elbow. <laughs> so oh. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Well, I don't think you should be laughing about that. I know it's probably better to laugh than cry, but uh, that sounds like a little bit of a serious incident. Be careful, buddy. We need you to give us the reports on the geopolitical activities around this world. In fact, let's get to that right now. President Trump, after the drone shutdown by Iran, president said that uh, Iran had made a very big mistake. Later in the day, he called for an airstrike on Iran, and then 10 minutes before it was to take place, he called it off. Is this indecision or just wisdom as it relates to this attack on Iran? Well, I, I liked his initial comment when he said that Iran had probably made a mistake in shooting down the drone, a Global Hawk uh, reconnaissance drone that was flying at about uh, 10 miles above the earth over the Strait of Hormuz. And uh, he was asked by a reporter, what's going to happen? And he said, you'll find out. That was his initial answer, and that's a very good answer to give. The back and forth on specific details of what we're going to do and not going to do is not such a good thing. I don't know how much of this was leaked. I don't know how much of it actually came from the president. But leaving the Iranians in ambiguity on how and when 
we will strike them back for their aggression, I think, is a good thing. Remember, last week I had made the comment to our listeners and to you, Jimmy, that the Iranians are a little bit like an, an adolescent who is testing daddy's reaction. How far can I go? How far can I push him before he's going to respond? And every week, it seems, the Iranians go a little bit further in their aggression uh, against U.S. allies and even against U.S. assets. This time, I think it was a bit too far, and I think the president made it clear that the Iranians will pay a price for this, whether it's an airstrike now or an airstrike later, they'll find out. Let me just remind everybody that uh, we taped this broadcast and it's on the air right now. We may have had something happen while we're on the air. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, to keep up with all of that news. We can only report what we are knowing at that particular time. Ken Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, says that any U.S. attack on Iran would be a catastrophe. Now, do you believe that, and does that fit in to the eschatology for the Iranian people who say that when a catastrophe takes place that they have sponsored, the Mahdi, the Islamic Messiah, will come forth? What are your thoughts? Well, interestingly, I think Putin is trying to deter the United States. Uh, He does not share their eschatology, that's for sure, and he would like to avoid, I think, a further entanglement that could lead to a U.S.-Russia confrontation in the Middle East. Putin doesn't want that, way too costly, and he doesn't see the benefit from it at this point. But this is really Putin trying to ward off what he sees as a catastrophe for Russia, not for Iran. I think that's what he's really really addressing here, because the Russians have become so deeply allied to Iran that they could be drawn into this final battle by Iranian missteps, either attacking Israel or attacking the United States, as they do with the drones. So I think what Putin is actually doing is saying, oh, hold off here, guys. We don't want any of your end-of-times battle here. That is the case, but uh, what motivates those Iranian people is indeed their eschatology. Well, let's switch to the state of Israel. There is word coming out from Israel that Iran is determined to go into the West Bank, the area of Judea and Samaria, the middle part of the state of Israel, and arm the Palestinian factions in there. Just another effort by Iran to sponsor terrorism around the world, isn't it? Well, it is, and the Iranians have never managed to supply weapons to the West Bank Palestinians. They have always sent weapons into Gaza and been very successful at it. They've done it by sea. They have smuggled them in across the Suez Canal and across the Sinai Peninsula. But they've never managed to do it into the West Bank because both Jordan and Israel are very carefully monitoring those borders and have stopped all of the attempts that Iran has made in the past to bring weapons into the West Bank. So what they're doing today, the latest reports that we're hearing this week, is that they are encouraging by paying money to local Palestinian armed factions, not the Palestinian Authority, but other terrorist factions in the West Bank. They're paying the money so they can manufacture weapons locally, and they will then take credit for having supplied weapons to those Palestinian groups in the West Bank. It's not exactly the same thing as sending weapons across the border, but it's a pretty good second. It is indeed a very good second, and Israel is much concerned about this money coming into those 
Palestinian factions there in the area of Judea and Samaria. There's going to be a very important meeting in Jerusalem this week, the trilateral meeting between Russia, the United States, and Israel. And the Kremlin's saying this is a key meeting, very important. They're going to be discussing the situation in Syria and other Middle Eastern problems. It is probably a key meeting, isn't it? It sure is, Jimmy. This is a epic-setting meeting. There has never been a meeting between the national security advisors of Russia, the United States, and Israel. It's never happened before, and the first one is going to happen in Jerusalem, in Israel. It's really quite astonishing, and it shows how both the United States and Russia take the situation in Syria and the confrontation with Iran seriously, and they understand Israel's key role in that. They're elevating Israel, not, I wouldn't say to equal party status, because that's not the case, but Israel is on the ground, and that's the important thing. So you have Nikolai Petrushev, who's the Russian equivalent of Ambassador John Bolton, our national security advisor. He will be coming to Jerusalem for talks both with Netanyahu one-on-one, but then, very importantly, with John Bolton and Mayor Ben Shabbat, who is the Israeli National Security Advisor. They're going to talk about Iran, they're going to talk about Syria, and I think they're going to be trying to find ways to deconflict the type of incident that you just saw over the Persian Gulf. But this is a monumental meeting. Something like this has never happened before, so I think it would be well worth everybody's while to monitor this next week, early next week, when it takes place. And earlier this week, Ken, in a courtroom in Cairo, Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, leader at the time when he was the uh, president of Egypt, Mohammed Morsi, died, and now the Muslim Brotherhood claiming that was a murder. They're calling for a mass action against the nation of Egypt. Boy, this could be very dangerous, could it not? Well, it could, Jimmy, but excuse me for taking it a little bit more lightly for, for an instant. It, Morsi has a, had a great sense of timing. I mean, who else could have died right in the courtroom when he was being accused of murder? So he gets to turn his actual death into an accusation against his accusers. Uh, but you're right, there will be uh, a response. There could be demonstrations on the street. The Muslim Brotherhood's going to be upset. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood's best ally, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey, Turkey was the first one to lament Morsi's passing. Uh, but frankly, uh, there's a graveyard of people like Morsi just out of, outside of Cairo, and he'll be, you know, he, he will be finding his, uh, his brothers there very shortly, and it's a good place for him to spend the rest of eternity. And the fact is that the Muslim Brotherhood has uh, tentacles in many nations in the Middle East. They're a major player. Some have even called the Muslim Brotherhood the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. We'll stay on top of this story with Ken Timmerman as well. Ken, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. Please be careful when you're there working on your property and don't fall into any more electrical fences. Will you do me that favor? There's always something else. You never know, Jimmy, but, but thank, thank the Lord for my guardian angels. Absolutely, and I thank them for my guardian angels. By the way, that is Matthew chapter 18. Look it up if you don't believe in guardian angels. Thank you, Ken. We'll talk again next week. Look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. God bless. 
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Right after the broadcast, we're headed over to Michigan, into Crystal Falls, Michigan. We'll be at the Lakeview Bible Church. Roger Jaworski, the pastor there, is inviting everybody to come. A three-day prophecy conference all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Love to have you come study the prophetic word of God with us. But as I've already mentioned, we're going to David Dolan with his Middle East News Update. David, let me get right underway with everything that's happening between the United States and Iran. Iran is focused really on the West Bank or Judea and Samaria and Israel. Iran determined to arm the Palestinians there in the West Bank. What do we know? Well, Jimmy, we had on Friday, yesterday, again, uh, rioting in the Gaza Strip, uh, 6,000 or so Palestinians, some of them hurling objects at Israeli soldiers across the fence, and incendiary devices, the same sort of thing that's been going on. But, of course, when it concerns Iran, our concern is the missiles, the rockets and missiles that they're supplying to the Palestinians. We talked about that last week. We've had confirmation from Palestinian leaders that Iranian-made missiles were used in the last barrage of nearly 700 rockets a few weeks ago upon Israeli cities and towns, in which few people were killed and others wounded. And we have, of course, Hezbollah on the north that's even more massively 
armed. And Jimmy, this week the Israelis held a their largest military exercise ever in their history, they said. And it involved every ship, every airplane was at one point up in the air. The warplanes were all airborne. The soldiers were all uh, participating in exercises as if combat was taking place. And this was, as we expect in a real war, this was a two-front exercise. They were mainly in the north, where the main threat is from Hezbollah and its forces, but also in the south along the Gaza Strip and, of course, out at sea off of the Gaza Strip and off of the coast of Lebanon. In all of those cases, we had the major exercises going on. Well, this was an unplanned, um, we didn't know about it in advance. It was obviously called to coincide with the escalating tensions in the region. And uh, Tehran, at the same time on Thursday, held full uh, military exercises in their capital city, Tehran. The Iranians did, and in other places in which they simulated uh, missile and rocket attacks. Now, of course, we almost had such uh, attacks uh, on Thursday evening, but President Trump ordered them to halt 10 minutes, he said, before they were going to strike uh, positions. Of course, from American ships and aircraft were preparing to hit Iranian Revolutionary Guard sites, mainly missile launching sites. And, of course, it was Iran's admission that they did shoot down this American drone with a surface-to-air missile, claiming it had strayed into their territorial space, which the administration, as you know, has a lot of evidence that was not the case and maintains very strongly that was not the case. But the Israelis are watching all this, Jimmy, knowing that they will almost inevitably be drawn into any conflict that breaks out between the U.S. and Iran by the Iranian side. And this goes along with the probing and pushing that they've been doing now for months with these nibbling attacks here and there, clearly against international law when it comes to placing mines on, on oil tankers and uh, shooting down uh, aircraft. But uh, the Iranians said, well, they could have shot down an accompanying Air Force jet to, that was next to the drone, near the drone, monitoring it, that had 35 uh, people on board. Well, President Trump, of course, said he w- didn't want to kill 150 Iranians, that was the estimate of the uh, planned strikes, would have been. But, Jimmy, it's just uh, still very much on a knife edge. The Israelis are remaining on full military alert, and the uh, the next date that they're looking at is just the end of next week, when Iran says it will once again begin enriching uranium to above 20%, which is weapons-grade level, and this looks like it's going to happen That uh, is a major violation of their accord with the other powers that did not pull out of the nuclear deal, Russia, China, Britain, France, and Germany, and is another trigger for more trouble ahead. So we'll just have to see. But the feeling in Israel, Jimmy, is that the Iranians are now further emboldened. There's a big questioning of President Trump's decision to call off the strike because they fear that this will now embolden the Iranians. And, in fact, Friday morning, their defense minister maintained that this uh, action proved that it was the United States that tried to blow up the tankers, that the United States placed those mines, that the the Trump administration is trying to provoke Iran into action, not the other way around. But all the evidence on the ground suggests it's Iran and its allies. And, Jimmy, the Palestinians are watching very, very closely. The Lebanese are watching very, very closely. The Syrians and others And the region remains very much on a knife edge. And a full war is definitely still 
uh, very much on the table. And at the same time, Iran wanting to arm those factions in the West Bank, the middle of the state of Israel. They're doing that with Hamas in the south and the Gaza Strip and in the north at uh, the Lebanese border with Israel, doing it with Hezbollah as well. You mentioned that uh, military drill that was taking the largest ever in Israel. The prime minister monitored that on location, and he said that the IDF is a powerful force, and he warned everybody, don't test the IDF and Israel. Pretty strong statement. He says, you better be ready if you come to get us. Well, and they have been preparing for this scenario for several years now, really for more than a couple decades. But as Iran's aggression has stepped up, as their involvement in Syria came in 2015, as they've moved Hezbollah forces into Syria and around and down to the Golan border, and all of these provocative actions have caused the Israelis to step up their preparations. But, Jimmy, again, we had an Israeli official state again this week that there are going to be many Israeli casualties in a new rocket war because they have so many rockets and missiles between the south and the Gaza Strip. Uh, They have some in Egypt they could fire from the Sinai, allied forces with Iran. They have, uh, of course, many supporters in Jordan, and as you mentioned, the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, that would rise up and, and cause internal troubles. But it's those rockets raining down, Jimmy. And in this barrage, this last barrage, the largest ever, 700 rockets fired within just a few hours of each other. This was designed, uh, the Israelis believe, to test what Israel can knock out and what it can't get to if there is a barrage, and if they opened up with just one-tenth of their rockets, so one official said we would have hundreds of Israeli casualties, if not thousands, because the Iron Dome is an excellent uh, interceptor, an excellent system. We have the David Sling, which is a, another version. We have the Intercontinental Arrow system. We have three systems that can operate, but they cannot take out hundreds of rockets at a time. There's a limit to what they can actually track and successfully prevent. And, of course, if one of those rockets hits the Knesset, if one of those rockets has a non-conventional warhead on it and hits Tel Aviv, for instance, we could have hundreds of thousands of casualties. And this is the reality. Israel doesn't want this war. Obviously, President Trump doesn't want war with Iran. But Iran stated 40 years ago when Ayatollah Khomeini took over from the Shah, ousted the Shah, and took over. They've been stating ever since that they will one day destroy the great Satan America and the little Satan Israel. So they've been saying this for four decades. They've been building up to it all that time, uh, building these militias, arming them, uh, funding them. Uh, Hezbollah has also, as we know, terror networks all around the world, in the United States as well, some uh, sleeper cells. So they've been preparing for a major war, and I don't think that maybe the Israeli and American public understand that this is probably not just going to be a local Middle East war. David, let me ask you about a very important meeting that's going to take place in Jerusalem this week. The Kremlin saying, and Vladimir Putin, that the meeting, the trilateral meeting between Russia, the United States, and Israel on security needs in the region will be a key meeting. What do we know about that? 
Well, we know that the Kremlin is continuing to talk positively about Israel, and Putin is very much wanting to see relations maintained with Israel. But at the same time, he's also cozying up to Iran. So we'll have to see what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu offers at this meeting. They're happy that there's some restraint coming from Russia. They're not convinced, though, that Putin isn't playing a double game here and really uh, just pretending to be wanting better relations with Israel and, in fact, on the ground, encouraging Israel's enemies. So it'll be an interesting meeting, Jimmy. Uh, Fly on the wall would tell us what happens, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, comes out of that. And uh, we'll report on that next time I get together with David Dolan with his Middle East News update. David, thank you so very much. It's key to understand the Middle Eastern region. So glad you're there. You've been there for over 30 years, so you know that part of the world very well. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Itamar Marcus standing by. A Palestinian leader says everybody in the Islamic world must rise up to protect Al-Aqsa Mosque. We'll find out what that means when we talk with Itamar Marcus right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Great to have you along. We're here in Temporary Studios in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We'll be going into Crystal Falls, Michigan. After the broadcast, Judy and I will drive over. We'll be at the Lakeview Bible Church. Going to have a great couple of day conference, actually a three-day conference, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Looking forward to gathering the people there to study the prophetic Word of God. Come and join us Sunday, a combined Sunday school class at 9.30, 10.30 the regular service. In the evening at 6 p.m., the teaching service will have a prophecy Q&A 5 o'clock before that. And then on Monday and Tuesday, we will be having a prophecy Q&A time. That's at 6 p.m., 7 p.m. I'll be teaching the prophetic word of God. By the way, all of those times, in case you're interested in that part of the world, are central standard time. So make sure you come and join us at the right time. Well, we're going to bring to this broadcast table a good friend, a longtime broadcast partner. It's Itamar Marcus. He heads up a team, Palestinian Media Watch, palwatch.org is their internet address. Itamar, I want to talk about a recent article that you sent in your update, Al-Aqsa 
and the Israeli plot. Now, I'll get to the Israeli plot in just a moment. But when we talk about Al-Aqsa, are we talking about the mosque or are we talking about the entire Temple Mount? Can you describe that for us, please? The Palestinian Authority and their religious leaders try to keep expanding the areas that uh, they want to have religious jurisdiction on. Israel gave the Jordanians, the Palestinians, after the Six-Day War, religious uh, jurisdiction over the mosque and essentially areas of the Temple Mount. But Israel now wants to have Jews walk up on the Temple Mount as well. I mean, the Temple Mount is the holiest site for the Jewish people, and there's no reason why Jews shouldn't have access there as well. Well, the Palestinian Authority keeps claiming that the Temple Mount, which is many, many times the size of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, is actually all part of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. In this way, they're trying to claim that any time a Jew walks on the Temple Mount, he is defiling the mosque, which, of course, is in itself a racist statement, a statement that a Jewish presence in a Muslim holy site defiles the holy site. This is a racist statement in and of itself. But what they're doing is they're trying to expand it to not only the entire Temple Mount, but they've actually said many times that it applies to the Western Wall as well. So this is an effort by the Palestinian people to take complete control of uh, that Temple Mount. Now, for those who have may visited Israel, the Gold Dome building is not a mosque. It's a commemorative building. That's the Dome of the Rock. It's the Pewter Dome building. Uh, that's at the end, of the southern end of the Temple Mount, which is actually the mosque. And supposedly, it is the third holiest site in the Islamic world, following after Mecca and Medina in Saudi Arabia. How did it become, Itamar, to be the third holiest site in Islam? It's a very interesting story. Uh, Initially, there was no holiness to Jerusalem in the Islamic religion. It was after Jerusalem was conquered by Islamic forces that the religious leadership and the political leadership, they were the same, wanted to attach some holiness to it. So what they did is they then reinvented a meaning to a particular verse in the Quran. The Quran talks about uh, Muhammad taking a night journey on a magical horse, a magical flying creature, till the, in the Arabic, it's the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, the Al-Aqsa Mosque means the most distant mosque, and it meant the most distant mosque in Mecca. And that's the way it was interpreted for years. When Islam conquered Jerusalem, and they wanted to attach holiness to Jerusalem, they reinterpreted that verse, and they said the Al-Aqsa Mosque actually referred to... What they did is they first built a mosque on the Temple Mount, and then they said that the Al-Aqsa Mosque doesn't mean the mosque in Mecca, it actually means this mosque in Jerusalem. Well, of course, this mosque in Jerusalem didn't even exist at the time that the Quran was written, but that doesn't bother them further with their interpretations, and that is what gave holiness to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, essentially a false interpretation of their own holy book for political purposes. We talked about at the beginning of the broadcast, I opened it up introducing you and talking about the Israeli plot. Now, as I understand it, the headline in your article at uh, palwatch.org indicates that if the Muslim world doesn't stand up and protect Al-Aqsa Mosque, something's going to happen and the world is going to have to pay for it. But talk to me first about what is this Israeli plot that they're talking about? The Palestinian Authority leadership, including Mahmoud Abbas, 
including a government decision of the Palestinian Authority government, have all said that Israel is planning to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Of course, this is a lie, and the actual leadership know that it's a lie. But they tell this to their people. In fact, whenever they want to have riots and terror and killings of Israelis, they, they keep repeating this, this line, Al-Aqsa is in danger, Israel's planning to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This incitement, this libelous statement was so intense in 2015, just before the Palestinians started their terror wave, which ended up killing 44 Israelis and tourists. Just before then, the incitement and the lies that Israel was planning to destroy the, the mosque were so high that a Palestinian polling institute asked Palestinians if they thought Israel was planning to destroy the mosque, and 50% of Palestinians believed it, which is incredible. Incredible because Israel has never said that we're planning to destroy the mosque, but the leadership wanted to have terror, so they created this lie. The people believed them, and then when the Abbas went on TV, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian leader, and he called for violence, everybody was ready to go out and defend the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And like I said, we had continuous terror for over six months. Forty-four Israelis were killed. Many, many Palestinian terrorists were killed as well. It was a terrible, a terrible period, all in the name of this false libel. So when they say now that Israel is having a plot and the world will pay dearly, it raises a very significant alarm, because this is the libel and the lie that the Palestinian Authority uses whenever they're interested in having terror. They're implying that the world will pay with terror, with violence, etc. So this is a very, very clear threat to the world. If you want to have quiet, then you have to do what we want regarding the Temple Mount. Yeah, quiet regarding the Temple Mount. I don't see how the Jewish people could at all do that, since that is the most sacred piece of real estate in all of Judaism. This was a ploy used by Yasser Arafat when he was still alive, and he used it down through the years when he was losing. He would incite the Palestinian people that the Israelis and others were going to attack uh, the Temple Mount and destroy it and put up their temple. Now, what's the warning? It seems not only to the Jewish people, uh, but the one talking about uh, this attack on El-Laqsa is saying that the entire world is going to pay. Is he talking about threatening the world with an Islamic war, possibly in the future? Absolutely. I mean, we know that when there have been attacks on Muslim sensitivities, Muslims around the world have murdered, have murdered Christians. I mean, just think back a few years uh, with Salman Rushdie and his book that the Muslim world condemned, and then you had the examples of the cartoons of Muhammad. How many Christians were killed around the world in different countries, not at all connected to the cartoon, just because some cartoonists in Europe made cartoons with the picture of Muhammad. And the Muslims around the world all went around and started killing. So if the Palestinian Authority decides that we have defiled the mosque, they will possibly call on Muslims around the world to go on violent streaks against Jews, against Christians, against anyone they want. And that seems to be the warning here, saying that we Muslims of the world can make the world pay dearly when our Islamic sensitivities are, are hurt. And therefore, he's saying this is going to be an entire world paying for this. Sounds like to me it's the religious scenario that the Islamic eschatology talks about the Mahdi, the Messiah coming to power, and then, and by the way, that's not the Jewish Messiah, 
but uh, the Islamic Messiah coming to power and then going to Jerusalem to ultimately set up the worldwide caliphate. Actually, Itamar, is this not really a battle for the control of the city of Jerusalem itself? Absolutely. What's so ironic about this is that until 1967, from 1948 to 1967, when Jerusalem was under Jordanian control, they didn't even care about it. You realize King Hussein didn't even make Jerusalem the capital of Jordan. King Hussein only visited in the 19 years that he was ruling over Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. He only visited Jerusalem once. The Temple Mount itself was completely overgrown with weeds. It looked like a dump. There was absolutely no respect for it on the part of the Jordanians or its religious leaders. It was only when it got under Israeli control in 1967, after the Six-Day War, all of a sudden the whole Islamic world decided that Jerusalem is this holy site for them uh, and that it's being defiled by Jews having a presence on the mosque. So basically it's a political ploy And what the Palestinians have done for so many years is when they want political anger against Israel, when they want violence against Israel, they use the religion card, they use the Islam card. They say this is being done for Allah. They know Palestinians are a very religious people. If they say let's liberate something for nationalistic reasons, people will ignore them. But if they say let's do this for Allah, Allah wants us to do it, you'll get your rewards from Allah in heaven if you die, you'll be a martyr, you'll be a shaheed. When they do this, people are willing to listen. That's the story of the Temple Mount used as a political tool by Palestinians for their political goals. That's the voice of Itamar Marcus. He heads up palwatch.org. That's their website, Palestinian Media Watch. Has a team that monitors what the electronic and print media in the Palestinian Authority are talking about and communicating to their people. Incitement to drive the Islamic world to protect Al-Aqsa Mosque, supposedly a very sacred spot from the Jewish people. Itamar, what a service you offer to the entire world. Thank you so very much for helping us to keep our people, our listeners, informed. We appreciate it, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Have a good day. Very interesting conversation with Itamar Marcus dealing with what the Palestinian media is telling their people and, of course, an effort to incite the Palestinian people as it relates to the area of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and, in fact, trying to make contact with the entire Islamic world to protect that third most sacred piece of real estate for the Muslim people. Well, we go now to the European Union in the area of Europe, where our man John Rood covers for us all the activities that are happening there. This is a key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. That's the reason we bring John to this broadcast table every week. Well, John, there is a lot of voting going on around the world, in particular there in the European Union. And the European Union actually facing some tense talks over the top jobs there in Brussels. Talk to me about that. Well, the big position, of course, that most people are aware of is the European Union Commission president, which is held now by Jean-Claude Juncker. And this will be until November 1st. But we have the president of the European Parliament. We have the president of the European Central Bank. 
We have the president of the European Council, who's sort of known to be Mr. Europe. We have the high representative of foreign affairs and security policy. All of these positions are just coming up. Now, there was just a recent summit, EU summit in Brussels, and the 28 European Union leaders, they had no agreement to who to take these top jobs. So it's, as we've noted, there's a democratic deficit in Brussels. These leaders are all appointed, and yet the parliament has a growing place in choosing the leaders in an ever so subtle way. So the next leaders need to have the support of 21 of the 28 European Union leaders and a majority of the parliament. But now we have this new parliament, which is seeing the effects of having 25% of its members Eurosceptic, which we've been speaking about, and it's the beginning of an unofficial power shifting. So the interesting thing is that the EU, in its system of appointing leaders, can't even agree because the national sovereignty is the issue from Eurosceptics, but the national control is going to be the issue from the 28 leaders. And the election, or selection, I guess I should say, of these leaders there for the European Union, key, as you and I both are students of Bible prophecy and teachers of the prophetic scenario laid out in God's Word, this leadership will be key in setting that stage for the European Union, actually, to become the foundation for the revived Roman Empire. Very important report always. That's why we have you to the broadcast table, John. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. You know, when I need to talk to somebody about the Israeli media, the Israeli political arena, when I need to talk about the history of Israel, or almost any subject, and especially as it relates to the Temple Mount and the preparations to put up that next temple there, I go to one person. His name is Winky Madad. He's a favorite right here on Prophecy Today, and we always get the answers we need from Winky Madad. So we're going to him right now because something very interesting took place this last week. The Sanhedrin, the 70 wise Jewish scholars who are responsible for preparing to build the next temple, they released a new coin, a gold coin, uh, that was honoring King David and in preparation for the reestablishing of the Davidic dynasty. And so we're going to Winky Madad to find out all about it. Talk to me, Winky, if you will. David's Davidic dynasty, what is that? Is that what was recorded, what they refer to in Second Samuel chapter 7 as the Davidic covenant and the kingdom to come? Well, the genealogical lineage uh, going back to King David appears in many periods of uh, Jewish history in various forms, whether it is the Zohar, which is the Jewish mystical trend of uh, thought and philosophy, whether it's the Hasidic rabbis from the 18th century and later who always tried to relate themselves to the Davidic lineage, to other uh, instances, because as you pointed out, it has biblical basis that a future king and all that entails in the future will come from the Davidic line. 
It is very strong in Judaism. Many of our prayers, even today, refer to David, God's servant, uh, in various direct or indirect language. So his presence, or the, the idea of a Davidic lineage, is very strong in traditional Judaism, and I would presume that the Sanhedrin, in uh, in their educational and uh, conscious-raising activities, would uh, think that it would be good to introduce this again in a modern way, such as a medallion or a coin that would educate and heighten the sense of future through various means and ways. Winky, are we talking about being able to use that coin today, or are we basically talking about when the Davidic dynasty is back in place, that coin will be used at that time, just simply a commemorative coin for today? I would think from what I saw, I haven't held it in my hands, but I know some of the people involved, which is probably one of the reasons you are talking to me, I think they also did a coin, I think even we discussed it, but maybe a little more than a half a year ago, with President Trump being compared to Cyrus and the declaration about moving the Jerusalem embassy. So actually, Jimmy, that probably close to a year ago already. Again, these are, uh, I see them, as methods and ways of keeping the people alert, knowledgeable, and sensitive to the various elements within the biblical prophecy, because otherwise it just becomes a piece of paper or a simple lecture in class rather than something very alive and something you can touch. Yeah, a whole hum are here, a whole hum there, not really thinking about it that much. You are correct on that first coin, a half a shekel, a silver half shekel, uh, with uh, the personalities of Cyrus and Trump both superimposed over each other there on the coin. A decision made by Trump and Cyrus about the importance of the city of Jerusalem. King Cyrus, head of the Medo-Persian Empire, about 2,500 years ago, who allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the Second Temple. And I understand that the Sanhedrin believes that the Trump coin will lead to the Third Temple. They believe this is a key component in preparation for that Third Temple. Would you probably agree with that? Well, I think that is their thinking. I think uh, it's legitimate concern to promote the idea. We've discussed the Temple Mount, oh, many, numerous times. And I think that any sort of consciousness and reality about what that piece of property really means could also affect the day-to-day political uh, life of Israel and, and others, both Jews and non-Jews, in relationship to the site. I, I, if I can jump in here, I, I saw about three or four days ago a statement by Trump's special representative, Jason Greenblatt, who said that we're not going to interfere with the special position that Jordan has in the holy places in Jerusalem. And as you and I and maybe some of the listeners can remember, we've discussed this. This is simply a waqf Muslim trust rule over the Temple Mount, which I wouldn't hesitate to say interferes with some of the major historical issues that we're talking about here. I think the policy that Israel has taken as regards Jordan in terms of limiting Jewish prayer and time and when they can go up there and where they can go up there, 
is is not very helpful for developing a true and genuine relationship uh, between the two countries, the two religions, and to fulfill biblical prophecy. You know, I really enjoy studying the life of the little shepherd boy there in Bethlehem, David, who later became king, first king of Judah, and he was there headquartered in Hebron for about seven years, and then for the rest of those 40 years that he served as king, he became king of all 12 tribes. He had previously gone up onto the Temple Mount, the threshing floor for Ornan the Jebusite, and purchased that piece of real estate. And so Israel has real claim, according to the Bible, and that's the title deed for this very sacred piece of real estate. King David actually paid cash money for it. That's key in the whole process and the discussion, is it not, Winky? It definitely is, and there is what we call uh, in Hebrew a midrash, which is a rabbinical commentary. It would says that there are three places in the land of Israel that were purchased by Jews to prove the ownership and the proper relationship between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, and that is Jerusalem, which is the Temple Mount, Hebron, the cave of the patriarchs, which Abraham purchased, and uh, Joseph's tomb in Shechem, or Nablus, which was purchased, so that the idea that we Jews have nothing to do with something called Palestine is absolutely ridiculous, because it is well embedded in the Bible and our history, our relationship, to the extent of actually purchasing in a real estate deal, if I could sort of term it that way, to show that we have a title deed. We're not talking only about what God told us, or any other sort of what they can claim as a mythological type of a a relationship. No, it was money handed over to prove to the non-Jews that we own the land. You know, I'd like what Rabbi Hillel Weiss, who was the spokesperson for the Sanhedrin, had to say. He said that this project, as powerful as it relates to the process of the mission of restoring the Davidic dynasty. Boy, that's, that's a great word from the Sanhedrin, isn't it? I think it is. I think it also points to the fact that, as I've expressed myself, I think, many times in conversation with you, Jimmy, that there is a line going back more than 3,000 years in Jewish history, and it continues to hold us together. And I think that we've proven ourselves through all the difficulties the Jewish people have gone through, uh, from heights such as the Davidic kingdom with his son Solomon. And as you said, under Ezra and Nehemia coming back from the Persian exile and jumping up to our day, the reestablishing the state of Israel, that it's not just a fluke of history. It's not just something coincidental. Uh, I think we and those who understand us and support us understand we're driven by a great historical moment that, if looked at properly, can only bring benefit to all of mankind. And we just perhaps, unfortunately, have to work harder uh, in order to convince people uh, of that positive message that comes from biblical prophecy. You know, just the fact that I'm talking about the Sanhedrin, those 70 wise Jewish scholars who basically 
are the overseers of the rebuilding of the next temple. And then you have to include the Temple Institute, who have trained the priests, 28,000 of them, and prepared all the implements for that temple. And there are others we're not mentioning now who have been working to rebuild that next temple. Looks to me like we're in the time period when that temple will go up and David's dynasty will be reestablished. How about that? Would you agree with that, Winky? Jimmy, I'd go a step further. The time is always now. We shouldn't wait. We should find ways to bring it closer. And as you know, Jews pray daily three times. And in all our prayers, there's always a mention of David and of Jerusalem and the rebuilt temple. So we're in the correct hype. And we just have to hope that God in this world will work through various means that he can do it in order to bring the other nations to recognize that reality. How about that statement, folks? God will work in his time to accomplish all of these desires of the Jewish people. Winky, thank you so much. You proved exactly what I said. Whatever topic I need to talk about, I can go to my broadcast partner there in Shiloh, in a part of the state of Israel, location of the Tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant when the Jews came in the Promised Land some 3,500 years ago. And you will have an answer. Thank you, Winky. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. What a very interesting conversation about the gold coin that has been issued by the Sanhedrin, an introduction to the Davidic dynasty, evidence that everything is moving just like Bible prophecy said it would for the end-time scenario found in God's Word. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We went over to the stadium last night, had a great little opportunity to tour some of that site. Unbelievable. I can see why the Green Bay Packers have been successful many times over the years. I said that, of course, for my son-in-law, Stevie, and our grandson, Trent, and our grandson, Tanner, who loves the Green Bay Packers. Well, want to remind you that uh, we are going to be up the road. After the broadcast, we head for Crystal Falls, Michigan. We'll be at Lakeview Bible Church. Roger Jaworski is the pastor. He's inviting everybody in the area. I believe we're on in about three radio stations there. Love to have you come and join us at the Lakeview Bible Church Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, all day Sunday. There will be morning meetings, 9.30 and 10.30. Then in the afternoon, 5 o'clock for a Q&A and 6 o'clock, a teaching session on Bible prophecy. On Monday and Tuesday, 6 p.m. for the Q&A and at 7 o'clock, we'll be teaching God's prophetic word. Come and join us if you have the opportunity and are in the area. I'd love to have you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, there on the left-hand column, you can find our poll question. I want you to answer this question in light of what has been going on this week. With the dust-up between the United States and Iran, 
and Iran shooting down the U.S. drone, do you believe the prophecy on Iran in the end of times, which is found in Ezekiel 38, 5, and Daniel chapter 11, verse 44, is coming better into focus and could be fulfilled in the near future. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and answer the poll question. Want to also remind you about our tours to Israel. Jim Jr. and Rick, our youngest son, who, by the way, let me just announce, he and his wife had a little boy. It's another of our grandsons, and we're thrilled with his name. His name is Callan Israel DeYoung. Quite an interesting name. I like it so very much, and they're all doing well. But Jim Jr. and Rick take our tours to Israel. You need to go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. There you can find out all the information you need, the dates for these tours. We do about eight a year. And then the price, the itinerary, all the information you need to make your decision to come go to Israel with us. That's Joshua Travel at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I get together at the broadcast table on a weekly basis to have a conversation focused on an issue that may well be key to the body of Christ and the individual Christian so they can understand the biblical principles dealing with that issue and then be able to have their daily walk with the Lord in biblical understanding. We do that today with David James. And David, before we get into our main topic for the week, I wanted to first discuss an email that we received from a long-time listener who was asking for advice concerning a situation that he and his family are facing at their home church. Tell us what that email was all about. Sure, be glad to. And of course, I don't want to mention his name or the area of the country where he lives, but this is an issue that more and more of our listeners are facing, and so I think it's important for us to discuss it uh, just briefly today, but probably more in the near future. So he wrote this, I have enjoyed listening to you for years on Prophecy Today with Jimmy D. Young. Our church recently adopted a policy on the role of women in the church that allows them to do anything at all, including preaching, except that they can't be the senior pastor or an elder. I don't believe this is consistent with the biblical role for women described in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And he goes on to say, We really don't want to leave the church, but I can't accept the view of Scripture that led to this policy or the policy itself. Do you have any articles that might be helpful for me to present to the elders regarding the biblical role of women? Thanks for your help. So in the meantime, I I did respond to him as soon as I received his email, and unfortunately I felt I needed to tell him that the decision is probably already set in concrete, and at this point if he does anything to try to influence a change, he'll likely be labeled as a troublemaker. Uh, When I was at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Canada a few weeks ago, I taught through the pastoral epistles, and so I did deal with 1 Timothy chapter 2 extensively, and at the end of that chapter, and this is just before Paul deals with qualifications for leadership in chapter 3, and that helps provide the context, Paul is very clear, women aren't to teach 
or to be in positions of spiritual leadership over men in the local church. There are many important roles that ladies can fulfill in our churches and ministry, just not these two things. Very interesting email from one of our longtime listeners, and what a service that uh, we're offering to the people when we have our weekly conversations, David. Thank you very much for bringing that to our attention. Well, let's move now to our main topic. As expected, President Trump announced on Tuesday that he will seek re-election. And we're discussing this as a part of our ongoing coverage of the 2020 presidential campaign because we know the outcome of this election could impact Christians in this country and the direction of the country for a long time to come. You're exactly right. Well, the rally, as many of our listeners will know, was held in Orlando, Florida, which is a key battleground state with 29 electoral college votes up for grabs. This is the same number as the state of New York and behind only California and Texas with 55 and 38 electors, respectively. So it was an important place to hold this announcement rally. The Amway Center, where the rally took place, holds around 20,000 people, and it looked like it was filled to capacity. And for some perspective, when President Obama announced his reelection campaign at an arena at Ohio State University, that venue also holds some 20,000 people, but there were well under 15,000 at that event. So Uh, President Trump has a lot of momentum going into this election, and I would say that in practical terms is probably his to lose. But I I want to mention to our listeners, as we've said in previous discussions, we're trying to be careful to focus on those things that are important to born-again believers. So we'll be discussing where individual candidates stand on these issues as well as the platforms of their parties. But as I've said before, we're voting for a party platform as much as we are voting for a specific person. That's an absolute reason why we need to understand what the party stands for, not necessarily the individual, but good to know what the individual thinks as well. David, let's talk about some of the reasons why President Trump has gained and kept such broad support from both conservative evangelicals and other social conservatives across the board. Well, I would say that the president has been a leader on many things that are important to evangelicals and is more traditionally conservative base in general. Uh, One of the most important things, I would say, has been his unwavering support of Israel, and this has included moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and taking a hard stance against Iran, especially concerning its nuclear ambitions. And now with the downing of the drone by Iran a couple of days ago, uh, his leadership, along with that of his advisory team, is crucial to where this all goes. He's also officially recognized the Golan Heights as part of the state of Israel and has stood with Israel in the face of increasing attacks by Hamas. And then there's also the near defeat of ISIS. Another thing I would say is that President Trump also strongly supports the military and law enforcement, including those who are dealing with the crisis on our southern border. And it's been on his watch that a whole new wave of anti-abortion legislation has actually been enacted at the state level, or at least it's making its way through the court system as it's been, been challenged. And then, of course, policies of this administration have helped bring down unemployment levels to the lowest in decades, 
And it's also resulted in GDP numbers that his predecessor suggested were impossible to ever achieve again. And one of the reasons this is important to believers is because as we do well as individuals, that means that we are able to give more toward the ministry, including overseas missions. So there are ripple effects that affect even our individual ministries as we minister in the United States and around the world. David, I think that we need to point out that not all evangelicals and not all social conservatives and even all of those in his own party are really behind this president. And many wonder how Christians can support him. I'm guessing you've run into this issue as well. Is that right? That's true. I've run into it quite a bit, and there are a number of reasons why that has been challenged. I deal with Facebook quite a bit and interact with several groups as well as individuals, and there are a number of things that people have talked about. For example, one of the things that some aren't happy about is the fact that while he registered as a Republican in 1987, in 1999 he switched to the Independence Party of New York. Then in 2001, he changed his affiliation to Democrat back to Republican in 2009, and then no affiliation in 2011, and then finally back to Republican in 2012. And this last time was when he was already talking about being a presidential candidate in that year's election. Uh, He made statements in 1999 and 2000 in which he affirmed a pro-choice stance. But then in 2011, he started articulating a pro-life view, although I would have to say not necessarily a strong one until he was actually running for president. And, of course, there's some debate even among evangelicals concerning abortion. So this is a, a very hot topic. They're also concerned that he's made a lot of money through casinos and everything involved with that type of business. Some are concerned that Melania is his third wife, and then there are reports of affairs and other things he's said and done in the past, including what was on the Access Hollywood video. And then there's the way he talks to people and what he does on Twitter. He gives them unflattering nicknames, and there's concern about the way he handles certain people he perceives as enemies, and then how he works through situations as president, including with some of our allies. And then, of course, the question of what to do about illegal immigrants is a hotly debated topic among Christians. So this is some of the other side of the issue. Yes, and it's important for us to bring that to the fore as well. You know, one of the things that really bothered me about the president's announcement rally was the opening prayer by Paula White, one of Donald Trump's main spiritual advisors. Well, what are your thoughts about what she said in her prayer and the fact that she has so much influence in this administration? Well, here are a few of the things that she said during her prayer. First of all, she said, I pray for the Spirit of the Lord to rest upon our president and let your favor cause his power to be exalted. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So she seemed to refer to Trump as God's anointed, and that's a title that's reserved for the King of Israel and ultimately for Jesus Christ, the one who will establish God's kingdom on the earth. And since White believes it's the Church's responsibility to establish God's kingdom, this is not only bad theology, it's dangerous theology that more and more people are believing. Mixing this kind of theology with politics just won't end well. She went on to say this, Let every demonic net 
network that has aligned itself against the purpose and the calling of President Trump. Let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. I declare President Trump will overcome every strategy from hell and every enemy and will fulfill his calling and destiny. So this also represents White's theology of deliverance, which is to bind the enemy, taking authority over Satan. But Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God for a defensive stance. James says we're to humble ourselves before God and the enemy will flee. Then she says, I secure his calling, I secure his purpose, his family. We secure victory in the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jimmy, we just don't have the right, the authority, or the biblical guidance to pray like this. There is no hint of an attitude of not my will, but your will be done, which is always the way we need to come to the Lord in prayer. David, I think this was a very important conversation that we've had. So glad that so many could listen in as we were having our conversation. And we endeavored to simply state the facts, not give an opinion, but to state the facts. And, of course, the only opinion we gave was that from God's holy word. Thank you so much for your research into this. Thank you for reporting about our longtime listeners sending us an email with a problem. Maybe we can discuss that in a future program as well. might be helpful for the entire body of Christ. Thank you, David, and uh, we'll talk again next week. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break when we come back, and we're going to open the Bible. And all that my broadcast partners had to say, we'll see how it fits in to the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today 
for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we went across the world to speak with our broadcast partners who had great reports for us on current events happening today that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. These broadcast partners know the issue and deliver the goods for us here on Prophecy Today each and every week. Here's what they reported today and also my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, there in southern France, and using that as a vantage point to look at geopolitical activities around the world, reported the dust-up between the United States and Iran, with Iran admitting that they took down that U.S. drone over airspace, they say, was the Iranian airspace, the United States, saying that was international airspace. Well, that is the story. The prophetic perspective is that Iran is a major player in the Bible. It is focused on in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and verse 5. They're referred to as Persia. And then out of the east, we're talking about a nation that will come in Daniel, chapter 11 and verse 44. Both of these scriptures referring to Iran. Iran will be a part of the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel. They are a major player, not only in the Middle East, in Europe, but around the world. And we need to keep focused on what's happening because this is a great indication of how Bible prophecy is being prepared to be fulfilled. I talked with David Dolan. He gave us a Middle East news update, which is key for us to understand the most important region as we study Bible prophecy. That would be the Middle East. And Iran, again, a part of what's going on in the Middle East, and in particular in Israel, Iran is determined to arm the Palestinian people there in the West Bank, or Judea and Samaria, as the better term to use, so that they will be key in the taking down of the Jewish state of Israel. They'll be attacking Israel from the south, from the north, from the east, from the west, and they'll also, from the center, there in Judea and Samaria, where the armed Palestinians will play a role in the end times. Again, we understand that Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. When the United States returned to them $150 billion, that equipped Iran to sponsor these terrorist organizations and ultimately move out to try to do what they want to do, and that's destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Their activities all fit the prophetic scenario for the end times. Itamar Marcus heads up Palestinian Media Watch. He reported to us that the Palestinian leaders are saying Israel has a plot to destroy Al-Aqsa. Now, we ask Itamar, was that the mosque at the southern end of the Temple Mount, or as the Palestinians refer to it, the entire Temple Mount? Whatever the report is calling for the Muslim world to rise up and defend the third most sacred city for the Islamic world. 
Remember, the Palestinians are a part of the end-time activities, as reported there in the prophets like Malachi, that's chapter 1, Ezekiel, chapter 35, and the little book of Obadiah. These Palestinian people will be the ones, after the alignment of nations, try to take Israel off the face of the earth, and God destroys them. The only Islamic enemy will be the Palestinian people. Ultimately, they will be totally destroyed as if they have never been, Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. John Rood covers the European Union. This is a second most important region of the world as it relates to the end times. Out of the European Union will come the revival of the Roman Empire. John told us that Islamic State has sleeper cells in Britain ready to attack in revenge for the caliphate that was destroyed there in Syria. Islamic State spreading out after this fall of the caliphate, their geographical caliphate, which was located in Syria and Iraq, they're going to spread out now all the way over to India in the east. Now, this is a very important report because we see the desire of the Islamic world wanting to set up their entire worldwide caliphate, a worldwide kingdom. Wiki Madad talked to us about the Sanhedrin issuing a gold coin to bring the period of the Davidic dynasty into place. This is Jewish eschatology. They say the next temple will be for the Messiah. That is not true. The tribulation temple is the next temple. And that temple that Jesus will build, the Messiah, as foretold in Ezekiel 40 to 46, will be the one, according to Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, that the Messiah will build when he comes back. And that's the location where he will rule and reign among the Jewish people forever, verse 13. And then David James talked about the Trump spiritual advisor that is wrong on her theology and her eschatology. In other words, what she says is false teaching in both of those areas. Remember, Jesus warned us to be aware of false teachers in the end times. That's Matthew chapter 24 in verses 4, 5, 11, and 24. By the way, all of these reports can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll be able to listen to any and all of these reports. And may I suggest to you that you might want to consider telling a friend they need to hear these reports as well. Maybe you can send along the website address for each and all of the reports. I'd love to have you go to the home page there on the left-hand column. You can find our poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and answer the poll question. May I also remind you that these reports are evidence that we are at the time of the end. Before these prophecies will be fulfilled, the next event on God's calendar of activities is the rapture of the church. And that rapture could actually happen today. That means the only thing I have left to say is let's keep looking up until...
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.